here we are, pot and market. Well, actually not quite. You might be able to tell from the different sound, but we are not recording from our usual space in the Newark.fm studio. Instead, you are hearing me from my makeshift office in my bedroom. These are, to say the least, strange times. Our world, our country, our city, is in the grips of the outbreak of a disease that has brought entire economies to a standstill. I, like so many others, was vaguely aware of what was going on in China, then Iran, then northern Italy, back in those heady days of January and February. I was concerned, but I did not take them nearly seriously enough. I continued to shop as normal, I continued to show up to work, I continued to visit New York City, I continued to watch movies and theaters, I continued to eat out at restaurants. Then came the Thursday in early March where everything seemed to converge. The first deaths in the tri-state area were reported. Bergen County seemed on the verge of a full lockdown. The governor issued shelter-in-place orders. After that, things only seemed to get worse. More restrictions came into place. Our city, for example, instituted hot zones around three areas of public housing, which then expanded to the entire city. Every time you would look out your window, you would see a frequent parade of sirens and lights, a not-so-subtle reminder of the invisible siege we are under. These restrictions have progressed to be still Mondays, masks and gloves in supermarkets, and the closure of our beloved parks at the height of the spring season. I struggled with the debate of whether to record an episode of the podcast. First, there was the technical difficulty of recording a podcast outside our normal method. There's a reason why I record in the studio. Although you largely come here to listen to the topics we discuss and the people we interview, I want this podcast to be a professionally sounding audio podcast. I want this podcast to sound as best as it can for a podcast without a revenue stream because I think this city deserves that. I was afraid of the audio quality of recording with just my computer and a phone or internet chat app. It took a few weeks, but I found some software that I was comfortable with using on my own and that could provide a quality of sound that I felt was appropriate. I think our recordings actually sound pretty good. They are far from perfect. There are some hiccups, so please excuse us if you hear some gaps or some sound ticks. Second, I really worried that recording a podcast during this time would come off as inappropriate, flippant, or just off-key. However, I also learned in this time, more than ever, we need to maintain our normal trends. I learned that trying to record a podcast despite the obstacles of distance would help show that this city could still function under the tightest of circumstances. Therefore, I decided that this episode would work best if I featured a bunch of different voices, offering their perspectives, what they were struggling with, what they need during this crisis, and what they are hopeful for. You will hear from an artist living and based in Newark, a small business owner who also lives and works in Newark and who has seen much of her business put on hold. You will hear from an LGBT leader in the community and the issues facing that community in particular. And you will hear from a parent who has been working from home. I hope you enjoy listening to these guests as much as I love talking to them. I also hope to continue recording episodes like this. If you'd like to come on, please email the podcast at podandmarket at gmail.com. Please enjoy the episode. Our first guest is Samantha Cateas of Fern and Fossil. Samantha is a really important person to me. Um, I usually her as Sam. Uh, she, I've known her since I was very young. Um, and she's been very important to the podcast. I've turned to her often for um, advice on what the podcast should sound like, what it should look like, um, and just general life advice as well. 
And I have her here to talk about what it's like to be an artist living in Newark um, with um, a business in Newark, but also um, involved in the educational aspects of art and what it's like to sort of get through this crisis and what are the hardest parts about this. Um, so Sam, how are you? I'm good. Um, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you for being here virtually. <laughs> um, so I just want to start off with um, what has life been like um, during this uh, COVID-19 crisis? Um, I mean, I think it kind of ebbs and flows. I know initially um, during the, the initial like shelter in place order, um, you know, and, and all the sort of like uncertainty happening, um, it was it was pretty difficult for that, you know, the first two weeks of being home. Um, you know, I'm kind of starting to, to figure out uh, more of a schedule and um, trying to identify things that that kind of like make me feel normal um, throughout this crisis. Um, but it definitely, um, I, I think, can be pretty challenging at times. Yeah, um, I can only imagine um... It's, I mean, it's a weird time for all retail and for all people who live in the city. I mean, just walking downtown is super strange. Um, what are you, um, how are you keeping yourself occupied um, during this crisis? Um, so there, there definitely isn't like, um, I guess, a, like a, a deficit or like a lack of things to do. Um, I think I always have things to do, um, but I have sort of scaled back a little bit. Um, so one of the things that I'm continuing to do is I've been fortunate enough to be able to teach um, a couple of my students remotely. Um, I teach art and design at um, Studio Montclair. Um, it's an art gallery that also has an arts education component. Um, so really, you know, teaching my handful of students every week at our regularly scheduled time, um, you know, definitely helps, um, you know, trying to build in some semblance of like a workout routine, um, has also been really helpful. Um, uh, and also I guess just trying to like go to sleep at the same time every night or relatively, um, but I mean, I'm not going to lie, um, you know, a couple times a week, like the whole schedule gets thrown off and I just have to get back at it. I hear you on that. I, I struggle with maintaining a consistent schedule. Um, I feel my hours are progressing weirdly later and later. Um, not, that I've always been like that, but, um, without the, like the pressure to be up at a certain time, it's definitely harder to maintain that and uh you know i kind of um imp impressed that you're able to do that only because it's so hard for me um but um it's kind of funny talking about art in newark it's it's so strange before this um let's say like before march like right at the first week of march my world of art was you know i went to the new york museum 
to show my cousin who was visiting from Portugal, you know, all the stuff that was there. Um, uh, a guest of this podcast, Wolfgang Gill of Honk Tweet, was just about, I think within two weeks after that, to launch, uh, to open, sorry, his exhibit. exhibition. Yeah, his exhibition. Mm-hmm. And I was super excited for that. I mean, I was joking with him, like he's around the corner from a Rothko and Warhol, which, uh, you know, feels like you've made it in a sense, right? And um, I had just purchased a piece of art from, uh, that was hanging in Black Swan uh, uh, Espresso. Uh, again, another um, entity that's been on this podcast and by a local New- Newark artist. And I just felt like so um, involved in that world. I, you know, I've, you know this about me. We've hung out at Index a Gallery a lot. Um, we've been to Gallery of Faro together. Um, and all that stuff is gone right now. Um, can you talk about like what what are the difficulties facing artists right now in general? If you can speak a little bit to that based on the people you know in that community and how is the community helping itself out? Um, well, I think, you know, money is always an issue, right? Um, and and that um, that's sort of like a reoccurring theme and that's existed, I think, before this pandemic. I think um, for a lot of people who are maybe not aware of, um, you know, the the types of people who are unfairly compensated or inconsistently compensated um, for their work, I think that the pandemic is kind of shining a light on on a lot of inequities in in our class system, um, you know, at the moment. But um, you know, I would say that right now everyone's just looking for resources, trying to figure out how to keep the lights open, oh, sorry, (laughs) how to keep the lights on and the doors open. Um, And at what point will they be able to even open the doors again if they can maintain their spaces? Um, Because who knows what's going to happen? I mean, you know, I watch the news pretty closely and, you know, we're looking at, you know, shelter in place possibly going into the fall where there's going to be you know potentially another spike um and and people who are ill and um you know that's something that i think people in the arts community are very aware of um that you know in some cases like some of these projections are saying maybe we won't be able to return to business as usual you know, in terms of socializing um, until, you know, some sort of a a vaccine is generated. Um, So it makes it really hard, I think, for people in in general, but also people in the arts community um, to kind of plan for the future. It's, you know, I'm glad you mentioned this. Um, It's, I think people think, oh, it's hard now. It it was already hard before the crisis. I mean, I've had several artists come onto the podcast already, but just some people I talk to in the community, it's it's very difficult to get, um, you know, funding for things or consistent work. Um, and I, now, the, obviously, you said they shine. This is all shined a light on that. Do you think uh, the help that's been offered so far, whether it's from the federal government, you know, in the form of the PPPs? Um, stimulus towards small business or 
the local initiatives. I know the mayor has talked about this program to help fund artists in Newark. Do you think that help has been sufficient so far? Do you think, obviously, could there be more? Um, or how do you think that those funds and the support should be directed? Um, so, I mean, I, I will say, like, first and foremost, I think it was really a step in the right direction that, you know, the mayor, uh, Mayor Baraka, was, you know, able to, um, you know, kind of put forth this creative uh, catalyst grant program. Um, and I think that's up to $750,000 in funds um, that will be allocated to, I think, either, um, you know, arts businesses or individual artists. Um, and, you know, that's definitely something that I'm going to be applying for. I think the deadline is May 1st. Um, I haven't gone through that, that process necessarily yet. Um, you know, like, to be honest, I've been dragging my feet on, on a few of these things, just kind of, um, you know, trying to establish my own routine, um, and trying to kind of like process what is going on, um, you know, nationally and how that relates to me personally. Um, so it's really been more of like a time of self-reflection mm -hmm. for me. Um, so I can't really speak to like the ease of the process or, um, you know, anything, um, like that. Um, but as far as, you know, could there be more help? I mean, certainly I think that, you know, what is it that the, the $1,200, um, you know, stim stimulus check that, you know, a lot of people I think are receiving this week, um, isn't enough for anybody. Um, I think that barely covers rent in the city. Um, do yeah. I want to see more from like our, um, you know, our, our national government? Totally. Mm. Um, but I think that really what we're seeing in terms of, I think on the local level, um, you know, we're seeing a lot more um, than we are at like a national level. A lot more competent. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny. We're unlike most countries, uh, which have, um, for better or for worse, I, I can see the arguments against it, where the national government has a role in culture and in art. Um, and here, that's just non-existent. Um, well, there, there's awards in some aspects of funding of art, like the National Endowment for the Arts, but it's not the, you know, it's not where, you know, in Portugal, my cousin talks about that there are musicians who um are i think they don't pay income tax because they're classified as a national thing uh, a national entity or worth uh -huh. you know paying for um and that's hard here in the u.s where i think we forget how much artists contribute to a community um a lot of the interest around newark i think we think of it primarily in terms of jobs of companies that have moved here but what keeps people here, what makes people want to be here past 8 p.m. on a Saturday are the artists, their community, what they offer. And it's, I think for me, sad that it's always an afterthought. Um, but like you said, there, there are, there's been some help locally and some initiatives locally. Uh, but I hear you on that. I, I think it's, it's hard 
um, it gets even harder when all that dries up very, very quickly. And that foot traffic that I think a lot of artists rely on, the visibility that they rely on, uh, when that's all gone, it becomes even more difficult to do stuff online. Have you heard anything interesting of, of friends of yours or, or people that colleagues that are doing interesting stuff to try to generate income or make ends meet or simply just get their brand or their art, their design out there? Um, so, I mean, I have kind of seen a lot of people are, um, you know, either just kind of like beefing up their social media and, um, you know, trying to sell some of their artwork um, that they've already made or making, you know, in response to, um, you know, the the COVID-19. Um, I've also seen um, some pretty interesting, like, uh, I mean, I don't want to say like, like side hustles, but I've, I've definitely seen some, some pretty interesting um, ways that, that some of my colleagues are um, trying to generate income. And, and that could be anything from, you know, videoing their, their cooking classes and then posting up their like cash app handle for tips yep. um, or, you know, taking some of their group classes that um, they would sort of organize on their own and just taking them to an online platform. Right. Um, you know, lucky for me, I work for, um, you know, a, a specific program. Um, and so like that, that aspect, aspect of, you know, some of the work that I do, um, you know, I, I don't necessarily have to worry so much about where my students are coming from. Mm -hmm. um, of course, there were some students that didn't want to opt in to online courses and, um, you know, which is understandably so. Um, a lot of the, the clients that I teach are um, people with disabilities. Um, and so, there may be additional challenges with, you know, access, accessing an online platform um, or not uh, having the additional assistance that um, maybe they're used to, um, you know, either through like having a home health care worker or something or like an aid to, to sort of help them do things. So, um, or, you know, some, some individuals just decide like it's not, something that they want to do. Maybe it's um, difficult to find a quiet place in their home. Maybe they have other family members or like, you know, siblings, um, you know, where it, it makes it difficult to find that quiet place to have some time to themselves and do their online class. Um, or just to even, I mean, I would add like, that's kind of the why studios exist. It's not just to have a space, but a space that is to yourself. And I, th I think a lot of people don't understand that artists um, need not just, you know, social media, but also their own space to do their work, right? And I imagine those are mostly off limits right now for artists, right? Oh, yeah, I have um, a studio over at Index Art Center. And we're not, you know, until the, the mayor's shelter in place order is lifted, um, you know, we're not allowed to go to our studios to work, unfortunately, but, you know, also there, are, you know, so many residents. And so if, you know, mm. even if we were allowed to go, we would have to, um, you know, kind of figure out a 
a, I guess, a creative way of making that safe. Um, so in the meantime, it's just best to, you know, completely shut it down altogether. Yeah, I can imagine that's not an easy thing to do. Um, yeah, it's funny when you mention people who are getting their brand out there. I know this person doesn't need any more. Um, uh, I don't know how to describe this, but like any more um, exposure, advertising. advertising exposure. That's, yeah, I don't know. What, what, I don't want to use the exposur word because uh, uh -huh, I, know. I, I know how sensitive it is. We, we don't like that word. Um, promotion. <laughs> Um, I, I, I gave uh, Ribeiro the Newark project. I've been loving his posts. Um, mm -hmm. and oh, he's, he's fantastic. Oh, he's just fantastic. And he's been on this podcast on uh, a previous episode. Mm -hmm. and his wish, re wish you were here uh, stuff is sort of highlighting, I think, the emptiness of this current time. Um, but also it's not emptiness. I think we conflate people not being outside with emptiness, which is not true. This, there are 300,000 people almost in the city. They're just not mm -hmm. outside. Um, it's weird walking downtown. I mean, like, just to move off art and stuff like that. I mean, you've walked downtown uh, to go get groceries and, and things, necessities. I mean, not in some time, I'm going to be honest. Oh, really? I think the last time I went, I walked downtown was to go to the post office on, I guess, what is that, Clinton Place? or Oh, the, the same. One that's, yeah. The not one the... that's like, or is that Commerce? Um, it's Clinton. Yeah, the one that's not the main okay. federal one or the, I mean yeah, the federal yeah. building. Yeah. Yeah. I live. Yeah. Very close to there. Um, yeah. So I had to, to mail a package of some essential items to someone. Um, and it was, you know, it was a little scary. Yeah. <laughs> Not everybody's wearing a mask. You still see, you know, a lot of people clustered together, even in the downtown area. Um, I think in front of the museum, I saw a lot of, um, you know, people mm. kind of congregating um without masks it seems like um there there's like the vast majority that is taking everything seriously and then you know you still it's like you're playing frogger you know yeah. like darting you know from one end of the street to the other to make sure that you're standing the appropriate distance um you know from from other individuals it's kind of funny because uh, people keep asking me what's like downtown because, um, you know, people know I'm pretty uh, prominent on my social media that I live in downtown Newark. And it's it's not empty. I think that people misunderstand. The thing they misunderstand is that it's like it's empty. I've actually seen more emptiness in photos coming out of Manhattan. Like I have friends who live on like Second Avenue, which if you know Second Avenue at all, it's never empty <laughs> mm -hmm. um and that's like a ghost town whereas here i feel like we're on permanent sunday i think you know it's it's every day is a sunday um where it's not that it's empty but there the city has always had a very large homeless population and, and it's been always an issue that we've been struggled to grapple with mm -hmm. and that's just being highlighted right now that a lot of the people um who are walking outside are unhoused really have nowhere to go yeah um, maybe uninformed or unable to be informed about you know what's going on and the deal or don't have the tools yeah, you know? yeah, yeah exactly. like you may be informed but you may not be in a position to have the tools to protect yourself and yeah. you know i guess i'm i'm fairly aware of that i think that also just speaks to a national issue though like i mean it, 
talking about like income inequality and um you know like housing prices going up um you know we're we're seeing this level of of homelessness in most major cities unfortunately so it's not really like a problem that's unique to newark in any way yeah no no i'm not saying it's unique to newark it's just i think newark has a, a visibility of it um in its downtown uh -huh. that's unlike i think most other cities um uh, obviously, New York City has its, you know, its Port Authority bus station and its uh, Penn Station, not a little bit, but not as bad as Port Authority. But whereas in Newark, like the one of the most prominent places to enter the city from is Penn Station, Newark. Mm -hmm. And it's the very, the very first thing you see. And that's difficult. Like those people um, really have nowhere to go. Um, and unfortunately for them, they often can be um, vectors for the disease just because of their past histories and uh, mm -hmm. their closeness um, in trying to find places to stay. Um, I only mention it, I'm not, I don't want to harp on the issue, but I only mention it because it's, I think it's something that people forget. It's, um, it's not empty down here. There are still people outside, um, they're, but they're not outside by choice. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've also like gone for once in a while long walks because they just need those and it's still you know exciting to still see you know a few people who are out either running or taking children outside because it's it's hard i think we take it for granted but to have a four-year-old in an apartment um for longer than a day is just probably hell um but yeah anyway um so i just wanted to ask you um what are you excited about in Newark? I, I asked this question at the end of every one of my podcasts and I'll ask it at the end of this session. Um, is there anything that you're keeping yourself occupied with or that you're excited about? Um, I mean, as I kind of mentioned before, um, you know, I guess something to be sort of excited about is this, um, you know, Creative Catalyst Fund. Um, I think that's going to help out a lot of people. Um, and as far as, I don't know, like in something like something more, um, I don't know. <laughs> well, what are you, have you been watching anything cool or reading anything cool? Uh, Music, I maybe? I don't know. You know, maybe maybe that's not the best day to ask me. Yeah, of course. Yeah, you're so devoted to your art and your education that um, it completely subsumes your life. Got it. Uh, um, but thank you for coming on. I think this was um, great, um, and I hope uh, for the best. And obviously, I I understand these are trying times, but I hope um, you know we all get through this somehow. Our next guest is Emily Mance of Have You Met Newark? Have You Met Newark is a local um, tour and um, food tour and um, site tour for Newark. Uh, I've known Emily for quite a while. Uh, I've actually been on one of her food tours. Uh, this is already about four years ago. And uh, I, I was really happy because, you know, I've lived in the city for such a long time. And I thought I knew everything about all the restaurants down here and on her food tour. I stopped at at least three places I remember that I had never been in before. Uh, one of which I, I, I kept going to regularly, like almost weekly. Um, so I'm kinda, I have to thank her for that, because even if you live somewhere and spend a lot of time somewhere, there's a lot of places you'll never find unless someone actually brings you to them. 
So we're here to check in with Emily and see uh, how she's going through this crisis and how her business has been affected by it. So uh, how are you doing? Hey, Manny. Um, well, thank you for that intro. I'm, um, I'm doing good. You know, I have, uh, thankfully, a diversified income. Um, I have a consulting company along with my tour company. So I've lost about probably my consulting company and tour company together about $10,000 mm-hmm. due to the coronavirus, um, which was, um, you know, uh, really scary at first. And then I kind of realized that um, some of my consulting projects were still coming through. Um, some were just postponed rather than completely canceled. And um, yeah, I would say like the first two weeks, I was just trying to, like everybody else, like make sense of what was going on and worried about friends, worried about my family, uh, less kind of worried about the business and then was able to kind of reset two weeks in and think about, okay, <laughs> what am I going to do um, to make it through uh, and keep my business going? Yeah, you know, your business is really funny because it checks off all the boxes of what you're not supposed to do, right? Yeah. Outdoors, uh, <laughs> yes. gather in large groups, go from place to place. Um, yep. Yeah. And we actually had a, a public food tour scheduled on the calendar. I think it was March, um, I want to say March 15th, which was the, the day that uh, me and my partner kind of officially stopped doing anything non-essential. And we, when we canceled it, we sent out the email uh, and, uh, you know, we said in an abundance of caution because things still weren't entirely clear. But, but yeah, like the idea of bringing in people that might not be from the Newark area into businesses and restaurants, having them interact, it just seemed really risky. Um, and I'm glad we made that choice. Yeah, it's not an easy choice. I uh, this mm-hmm. is not the same, but I sit on a nonprofit board mm-hmm. where we had to make that. Um, and actually, Emily knows about this. We had to make this like crucial decision. Um, it, now it looks a little less hard to make, but I think about a month and a half ago, we mm-hmm. were actually gathered together in a restaurant as a board to decide whether or not to cancel all our events. And we had about six events, one of which included uh, a major event that we throw with that gets about 150 people that attend. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can only imagine how much harder that is when you're an actual business where that's your income and it's not just a, a social mm-hmm. thing, but like for right. you, uh, it's almost literally how you buy your bread and butter. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, how did yeah. your, um, how did your customers take it? They were very understanding. Yep. So that was, um, you know, most of the cancellations that have occurred over, um, March and April and probably soon may um even though i haven't heard from a, a couple of the groups yet but i'm just you know assuming that we're both gonna mutually cancel um most of those kind of came from the customer side so i said you know of course you know we'll cancel um i have you know i think i in the future <laughs> i'm going to um maybe like tighten up some of my contracts or you know make it more clear what refund policy or you know force of nature policies might do and i know some of the other tour providers that I kind of network with, we're all uh, speaking about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but for my the public tour, I just said, you know, um, you can either take a refund, or um, they can go towards a future tour. And uh, um, most people took a refund. Um, but one person did keep her two tickets for later, which was good. So that, that's really nice. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's always hard. Um, I tried my best uh, to like, find ways to support Mm-hmm. These businesses, I mean, it's much harder in Newark where, you know, these are much more, um, they're not like a big company where I can still order the products online and get them shipped right. pretty easily. Uh, right. Uh, on the previous guest, uh, Samantha and I talked about how I purchased art right mm-hmm. before the crisis. And um, 
I'm just sort of letting it sit there. It's actually a Black Swan Espresso, and um, there's no rush on my end, but like it was sort of like mm-hmm. fortuitous that I was able to buy it right before mm-hmm. things really started to dry up. Yeah, um, but it's yeah. harder with something like yours, where it's like you know that's really you know not easy to to plan around. Um, yeah. Have you thought about yeah. doing anything interesting? Um, I know it's really hard to, to, to ask that, but mm-hmm. um, in terms of like, have you met Newark? Is there a way to like introduce people to Newark somehow online? I know it's a little easier with like artists and with mm-hmm. performers, but um, I mean, giving a tour, I think is a kind of performance in its own way, right? Mm-hmm. Have you thought about yeah. doing something mm-hmm. interesting like that? Yeah, so I think, um, again, kind of like the first, because I have other income streams, um, I was very focused on just making sure that those, you know, like those projects kept moving and that, um, you know, just kind of carrying out my commitments uh, for my other, you know, business. Um, But now I think I am kind of in a position, right, I guess we're like a month into this. And I actually just got off of um, a Zoom event that the Newark Public Library did. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Where, yeah, it was um, uh, Richard Roper and Bob Holmes speaking about a book um, on Kenneth Gibson that sounded really interesting. So I, I logged in and it was it was a really interesting event and it was kind of neat to see everybody's faces. So I've done a lot of, of course, like Zoom professional mm-hmm. calls, but this was kind of the first uh, social event that I tuned into. Um, and I thought, maybe we could do something like that. I've always been a little bit hesitant to take too much online. I think our, yeah. you know, our company has always been very focused. And I've even written articles about how you can't substitute in person um, for virtual. But now I am thinking about what we can do. Um, it's just for me, you know, some tour companies, this is literally their entire bread and butter. For me, it's about half my income uh, with the tour company. So those companies like Turnstile Tours in New York, they very quickly pivoted to online programming and ticketed online events um, and really interesting speakers they've brought in. For me, it's been a little bit slower to that because I haven't, um, I haven't wanted to take time away from uh, what is paying me right now. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. uh, I, I want to echo that comment because uh, with this podcast, I've made, an, uh, I've made it a sort of mission to do it in a studio. And when the studio closed up about a month ago already, uh, I thought I wasn't going to do any new episodes. And uh, because I love the, we're on, uh, just for the audience to know, we're on FaceTime. We're actually looking at each other. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I like the idea of being in person to be able to interact, you know, very, mm-hmm. um, even if I'm not touching the other person, I'm there to like feed mm-hmm. off their energy. Um, mm-hmm. And the sound quality also, you know, is usually much better when it's in a studio. Uh, but for me, I thought it was more important to get these conversations out. But I understand with something like a tour, that's definitely not the same. Mm-hmm. Like, that's almost like a completely different thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I totally, I think I, I hear you on that. Um, I'm wondering, what does the world look like for you? Uh, obviously, we don't know if like, it'll be May or <laughs> I heard something like, I think yesterday where it's like 2022. And I'm like, please, please, let's talk. <laughs> right. Oh, my um, gosh. Yeah. But what is a, I understand it's hard to plan because you don't even know when that world is coming. But what right. do you think that world looks like for something like have you met Newark? Um, mm-hmm. How do you get back on your feet? Yeah. So, I mean, for us, you know, it's really important that all of our partners kind of weather this storm. So um, we make a, you know, a big focus of our company is going to local restaurants, going to local stores, um, going to local galleries. And I think, you know, it's, it's interesting. So we started this tour company seven years ago. And if you look at pictures from the first tour, um, 
actually most of the places we visited aren't there. So we went to yeah. Algira Center for Contemporary Art. We went to uh, Elbow Room. We went to Art Kitchen, <laughs> right? This is, so, this is like new work of the early 2010s. I remember. Yeah, I was living downtown so around that time. Yeah. So it was interesting. So, you know, um, the the places we go to sometimes change, but we, you know, we don't want that to, to be the case. Um, so, you know, we just hope everybody kind of weathers this storm together. Mm-hmm. We, we put out... Um, a kind of PDF that I, I was trying to kind of compile gift cards and um, who's still doing what for some of the pe- people that we work with on our tours. Um, kind of in the early days of this, we you know we put some gift certificates together um, on put them online for a couple people to buy. So you know, I just think like coming out of this tourism in Newark is dependent on is it dependent on the stores, it's the small businesses, it's dependent on the restaurants, it's dependent on the art galleries, all of which are like literally right on the edge. So, you know, and they're always, unfortunately, right on the edge because of um, some of the, you know, the funding structures that um, we have in place. We have some organizations in the city that do have set assessments uh, that they're allowed to take in money um, and I don't think enough of that money gets back out to who actually makes tourism and downtown work. So, you know, in the future, I just hope that this is a wake up call that, wow, like all these businesses and organizations are right on the edge. Right. And people are living right on the edge. How do we make it so that there's more sustainable um, business for these people mm-hmm. in the future, funding streams to support? Um, so that's kind of what I'm really thinking about, like as we come out of this, because tourism in Newark won't even, you know, it won't even exist if there's not the biz, the restaurants and yeah. the bars and the, the cool boutiques. That's like, that's what drives people here, in my opinion. That's important to em- emphasize because uh, you do exist in an ecosystem, right? You're mm-hmm, not just showing right? people uh, buildings downtown. Nope. Uh, but mm-hmm. you're walking into them. You're, you're interacting mm-hmm. with people. Um, mm-hmm. So along those lines uh what mm-hmm. support do you think is important that should come from the federal government the state government um mm. uh a city of the city of newark government and local mm-hmm. private and um private businesses and nonprofits? what do you think what help do you mm-hmm. think is most important for mm-hmm. small businesses yeah so i mean i think um it's there's a lot of programs right now at the federal and the state level um, I know I've actually been looking into some of them um, probably a little bit delayed because I've heard uh, like I've heard some of the programs have already been kind of oversubscribed, um, you know, but that's when you're a small business it's just you. If you put down your pencil from your work to look at a grant or look at a, you know, it, it's really challenging. Um, I was just doing a little bit of like research before this. There's actually 48,000 tour operators in the United States. Oh, wow. Um, and a lot of them are kind of like me, like single person with a couple 1099s um, throughout the year. And I just think all the programs, it's unless a program is really targeted for people that are small, it's hard to compete with the companies that have maybe like a team and one person can work on the application and the other people, you know, keep doing their job. So, so, you know, I like, I think the NJEDA, I, I was on a, a webinar that the city of Newark arranged, which mm-hmm. was really great like right off the bat so we could get that information um they were talking about kind of micro businesses 
Um, and so I think, you know, programs that are targeted towards micro businesses, where maybe you don't have to compete with bigger businesses for those funds would be good. Also, um, I just think like, you know, we have organizations um, in Newark that have large budgets. I'll, you know, I'll mention, I think the, the Newark Visitors Bureau, uh, Newark Downtown District, uh, Newark Arts, uh, slightly different because they don't have a special assessment, but they still have a larger budget um, than a lot of the other organizations in the city. You know, I, I think there is um, a responsibility to figure out how to buy local, support local, um, create programs that keep tourism and downtown alive during these times. I've seen a lot of downtown districts uh, across the state um, doing some really creative work mm. um, in this time uh, to connect people with the businesses that are still open. Uh, you know, creating a list is good, but I think there's some organizations that are going beyond that. Um, and I, yeah, I really want to see some change come out of this. Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny because I, I work, uh, I've been following a lot the PPP mm -hmm. stuff. And mm -hmm. it's funny that like a small business is classified as any business smaller than 500 employees. Yeah. And I'm just it's like, hard to compete. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, I know someone with one employee and like, yeah. when I think of someone with 500, I'm like, they're nowhere near each other. I just need yeah. to draw a line somewhere, but I'm glad you use the word micro business because I think mm -hmm. the first thing we think of small business, we think of mom and pop general store on main mm -hmm. street. And like mm -hmm. you're being lumped in with, uh, you know, um, a construction company, right? That's mm -hmm. a large entity with, you know, oftentimes its own accountant and bookkeeper right. um, on staff as opposed to just, you know, contract. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And that's hard. Um, so I'm glad you mentioned that. It's, it's the fact that you are, uh, your time is spread thin as a small business yes. owner. Um, yep. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I, it is my responsibility to apply for these programs, you know, at the end of the day. Um, and, um, you know, there are some resources out there to help small business owners apply, which is, which is great. Um, but you know, it's just, it just comes down to time and, and making, and making that an effort. Um, but I, I do think, you know, I, I think that this, the state and JDA, and I think that the, the city, I know they also have a, a, a program that they launched. I think that's all, that's all great. It's just, it's just hard when you're a small business owner to take that time. If you're not sure you're going to get it, if you're not sure if you qualify, you know, and those kind of things are in mind. Yeah, uh, I want to thank mm -hmm. you for your time. Um, as you mm -hmm. said, uh, it's very stretched mm -hmm. in right now, but thank you for coming on and, and talking. Oh, you're about so what's welcome. Um, so I wanna, yes, I I'm end. glad to. I'm glad <laughs> to speak. Tour operators are are important parts of the economy, and yeah. they're they're all kind of struggling in this time. Yeah, thank you for bringing attention to that. Um, so I want to end uh, this little session with what I end every podcast with, but slightly modified, which is. What are you excited about or what are you doing for fun right now? Um, how do you keep yourself occupied aside from your work? Oh, what do I do for fun? Jeez, I've been watching a lot of TV, <laughs> watching a lot of Netflix, um, working on our garden a little bit, um, playing with our dog. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's pretty quiet times, so, um, you know, right now, obviously. <laughs> I'm, je I'm jealous that you have a backyard. I'm stuck in my 600 square feet oh, over here. <laughs> I know. We're actually, we're kind of making it a project right now. So we're doing some, some little gardening. I'm looking at my flowers, literally watching them bloom, yeah. which is oh <laughs> kind of cool. Um, <laughs> so uh, just to, yeah. to round out, uh, where, yeah. can, uh, where can people find Have You Met Newark? Sure. They can go to haveyoumetnewark.com. Or they can call 646-856-9076. 
or they can email at haveyoumetnewark at gmail.com. And we're also, of course, on Facebook and Instagram at haveyoumetnewark. Thank you, Emily. Thank you. Our next guest is Brian Epps. He's a Newark resident, a community organizer. He's also a board member of Garden State Equality. He's uh, also a founder of the Hetrick Martin Institute. And he's also the former executive director of the Newark Pride Alliance. And uh, we're welcoming Brian on to the Pot and Market podcast. How are you doing? Hey, Manny. Hey, Manny. I'm feeling really good. Um, despite what's happening in our in our universe, I'm hopeful. I'm definitely very grateful to uh, not be suffering and not to have too many people in my circle suffering. Um, and I'm hopeful that I'm really grateful that I'm living in city that's being so responsive to like the pandemic yeah it's um it's been a weird time to say the least i mean just particularly living in newark where it's a city that's pretty badly affected but also uh one that's under resourced and um you know we don't have the the national microphone like new york city does right you see bill de blasio and andrew cuomo on every day um and our and our mayor's been relegated to you know Facebook live videos, um, uh, which is getting out the message, but obviously not in the same way as being on CNN every night. Um, but uh, I wanted to ask you, I brought you on because I think you have a particular perspective with a community that um, some people are definitely talking about, but I don't think is getting enough mention, which is the LGBTQI plus community and how they're doing. Um, I just wondering if you could share some of these particular issues that are you know, that community is facing, that they face normally at any time, but also how this crisis is particularly affecting them. Yeah, um, thank you. So I feel like there's, in respect to the pandemic and respect to identity and experiences of LGBTQ folk, that there's uh, many pieces, many aspects to to the to that conversation that are important. Um, maybe the two that stick out to me the most is that, um, one, we're talking about vulnerable communities and communities that um, have experienced disenfranchisement, exploitation, and certainly continue to experience disparities in healthcare. Um, the LGBTQ community in Newark, um, across the country, across the world, and especially LGBTQ community of color, um, definitely faces disparities in terms of health. Um, and so it's definitely a community that needs special attention in this moment. Um, and to your point, we're not we're not receiving it. Um, it's also a community that um, is just has a wealth of resources. Um, when I think about my own childhood and even like early adulthood, um, my elders and even my peers were battling and navigating um, the healthcare system here uh, locally, and of course everywhere else, um, finding out answers, creating solutions, and um, they uh, and we have been able to to unlock a lot of things that I feel like could be tapped into in this moment, um, especially in regards to viruses, right? When, yeah. Um, so yeah, there's those two pieces that that really stick out to me the most. Yeah, um, it's it's kind of crazy that like you know one of my a play that I really like and I've seen um, I got the I had the privilege to see it about two years ago was Angels in America and one of the scenes in the uh, play compares the the black death to um the hiv aids crisis and now it's kind of funny that that's flipping around in full circle that now we're looking at the covid crisis through the lens of mostly the pandemic of 1918 but we can also look at it at how we treated 
a much more slow moving plague like HIV AIDS. And, um, you know, I'm wondering what lessons we can learn, what mistakes were made during that time, um, you know, particularly in the late 80s and 90s that, you know, can help us understand how to treat these communities um, better and like how we can learn about how not to forget about particular communities. Sure. I think um, the HIV, um, the rise of HIV and the rise of AIDS um, in the 70s, 80s was a critical moment um, in our history as a, as a country, especially um, especially in regards to healthcare. Um, it was a moment in which the country was able to make huge advances just in terms of research, in terms of um, applying healthcare to uh, a wider swath of folks. But it was also a moment in which we lost um, the opportunity to just create, you know, large-scale expansion of our healthcare system, right. um, uh, large-scale advancement in epidemiology and the studies of different communities, um, and making sure that there was this intersectionality in terms of that research, uh, making sure that um, we like really engage different communities of difference across lines of difference. Um, here is an opportunity now to do that. Um, I believe that even if COVID is only with us for a, a moment of time, right? A few more months, another year before a vaccine is created, um, we can really push, we can move the needle in terms of advancing that conversation, especially in the midst of an, a national you know, election season. Yeah, yeah, it's, you know, we're, the country's not letting us forget that there's an election in, in November, right? And that's a whole different episode right there about what the world will look like if we're still in this kind of, um, social distancing program uh, then. Um, but I actually, I'm glad that you, you mentioned about, you know, you know, moving the needle and getting attention. Um, we think of, you know, uh, the first thing we think of when we think of help is the stimulus bill that was passed that, you know, the pay tech protect, uh, protection program that is helping small businesses keep people on the payroll that's already out of money. Um, and we think of the, the, the $1,200 that everyone's getting in their, um, or families or households are getting in their bank accounts. I'm wondering, um, what help would you advocate for, for the LGBT community that maybe is not, is being missed out right now? Um, how, you know, does PPP help that community out? Does these stimulus checks help them out? Or are there other issues that people are not thinking about when, um, you know, when we decide to give out checks like that. Yeah. Um, so I feel like this is what's cool and um, maybe even unique about NORC is that um, for probably as long as I can remember, it's always been singled out as a community that either has an LGBTQ community that's invisible or one that's um, overly political. And uh, if the latter is correct, I think that's a, a plus in this moment in that folks have been fighting for issues around housing, issues around healthcare, issues that um, are really uh, at the heart of like life and living. And those are the issues that really make up uh, LGBTQ activism here and LGBTQ history for the most part. Um, and so again, I think that you know, we're very lucky to have a mayor and city council that is also thinking about these issues, um, already rolling out its own stimulus package, at least trying to in conjunction with philanthropy here locally. Um, I think that part of the activism has to, again, speak to the disparities that exist and that are, are structural at this point um, in our country and really, you know, single out um, 
some some pathways for LGBTQ folk, especially young people, mm-hmm. um, who are uh, you know finding themselves um, victim of abuse in these moments. Um, issues of housing, security are you know especially important to young people. Um, always uh, who are LGBTQ. Um, Patrick Martin Institute that uh, I mentioned, who's a co-founder of, uh, speaks to homeless youth um, who need after-school programs, youth who are um, may not be homeless but need safe places to venture to um, outside of school, outside of their homes. And, you know, it's an ongoing issue for young people, especially now in COVID where folks are supposed to be quarantined. Um, but those are often unsafe environments for young people, for LGBTQ people of all ages, really, you know, Think about seniors in nursing homes or yeah. who are LGBTQ. Um, so yeah, these are these are definitely issues that deserve the attention of, of of our city and also our country overall. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned it. Already existing stuff and the fact that like you know often this community suffers higher rates of homelessness. Um, what I wonder like um, now that like everything's closed, how do how does this community access those resources um, when, you know, a place, let's say an example that I know of, it's a little more um, of, of getting like um, paper resources, but like the LGBTQI resource center in the library, right? Like that place is closed right now. What, what, um, how's this community trying to find the help that they, they need? Yeah. Um, the best tools where we have, you know, right now are trying to extend uh, virtual tools to people, um, and even trying to to do our best to make sure that phone lines are open, um, that you know folks have the opportunity to call in. Um, the discussions now are even going beyond that to make sure that healthcare providers, including psychologists, for example, um, can access people uh, in their homes or in spaces that are safe for both the you know professional and the and the, uh, and the clinician, you know the client. Or patient, for example, um, and I think we'll get there. We'll see that happening before the end of the crisis. Um, that folks will be able to access people in person um, as needed, um, and so I'm hopeful about that. Um, you know, I'd say to anybody who's listening to, you know, feel free to, to reach out to me, um, to reach out to Hatcher Martin Institute, reach out to Garden State Equality, reach out to um, African American Office of Gay Concerns, and to uh, the, uh, the um, NJCRI. Um, they're all still open, all still, you know, uh, very interested and available to, to service folks here locally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm happy about that. And again, these are also organizations that need continued support, like through this crisis. Right? Mm-hmm. I, I know there's a lot of focus on, of course, food banks. Well, a lot of these organizations have food pantries um, and, uh, you know, constituents, residents who are dependent on those pantries because they are safe spaces in which to access food access you know referrals to housing etc yeah i want to echo i mean just talking about safe spaces it's you know we often take that for granted um and this is something broader than the lgbt community but like you know the articles you read online and i don't want to make this podcast too grim but like you know domestic violence is up um you know reports of um you know families being families right just you know you're put into a house or an apartment for a long period of time you know, conflict erupts, um, and it's, um, you know, we, it, it's easy to say just to be quarantined, but, you know, when your home is not a safe space, it's not the easiest thing to do. Um, yeah, I'm wondering how, like, um, you know, for example, the community also requires things like, like, you know, medication and things like that is, do you think that's been disrupted for some people, like access to, 
healthcare outside the COVID crisis. Um, uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. 100%. Um, yeah. So our healthcare system has really been stressed, right? Yeah. Um, I know folks who are you know, currently in chemo, not able to go to their appointments anymore. Uh, several uh, friends who are expecting you know, children who aren't able to go to doctor's appointments. So the list goes on and on and on. Wow. Of course, it includes um, you know, LGBTQ folks who need you know, services um, for, for you know, various array of treatments. So all of that is um, in jeopardy. Um, and so, you know, the, the, the quarantine is, of course, about, you know, stopping COVID, but also about just making sure that folks are safe and not um, in harm's way um, and, you know, not, you know, putting stresses on themselves that will, like, increase their, their need for, for health care across the board, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. We, we, we you know, um, it's, uh, it's already hard enough, you know, during normal times to access, you know, something as simple as, you would think as simple as prep, right? <laughs> um, and like just going to the pharmacy and getting that, but sometimes it requires visiting a clinic to get that prescription. And good mm-hmm. luck, good luck trying to get into a clinic right now is, right. is all you can think about. Um, yeah, and just like, you know, sort of round up the conversation, uh, like there's not so much a question, but just like your views, like what's it like for the LGBT, this is more of a, on a ha- not a happy note, but more of a cultural mm-hmm. note, like, you know, the LGBTQ community, like, Social distancing is the antithesis of the community, right? Like the word social and distance don't ever, ever appear in the same sentence sometimes. Um, so what are the outlets right now for fun, at least? Like how are people connecting online? Yes, I've yeah. been to um, numerous amounts of virtual happy hours. Yes. And um, it's awesome. Like, you know, for such a small city, I think that we are a very queer space, um, you know, not just for folks who identify as LGBTQ folks. We just do queer things here in the city. We like blur lines and we create, we innovate. Um, but definitely tons of virtual happy hours, virtual meetups um, from organizations and also from just folks here in the city trying to connect. Um, folks, uh, some friends and I are working out in the mornings uh, virtually, um, you know, so there's all different types of ways that, in which folks are getting together. Um, and connecting, and I, I want to see those spaces like thrive and continue and to expand into into the phys- physical realm um, after this is over. Um, I know a, fo- a couple of folks who who throw parties. Um, like some of them were just really stressed out about um, this uh, this pandemic, and um, I think it's pushing folks who are doing things culturally to to think um, and rethink and reimagine. And I think that's really going to be great for, for Newark. It's going to be great for the city because we've been um, dying to tell our story, um, dying to like expand and amplify our brand and um, interpret it for other people, and even interpret it for ourselves. And I think we'll be better positioned to do that um, through this crisis and even beyond it. Yeah, so what do you think Pride Month will look like? Because Pride Month is only eesh, a month and a half from now, less than that. Um, what... Obviously, it's hard to predict. We don't know what social distancing and what the um, shelter-in-place orders will look like. But how do you think Pride will be this year? Um, do you have any predictions? Um, so my prediction is that June in New Jersey, in the New York City area, uh, <laughs> we will not have yeah. the parade. We will not have the large-scale yeah. events. Um you know, I was just with a friend earlier, 
And he's like, you know, do you want to go to a restaurant and sit there with your mask on and your gloves yeah. on? Or, you know, like that's that's the reality, you know, post quarantine, us in large, you know, in large settings. So I don't I don't see it happening. I do, again, see the opportunity for us to center, you know, different people's stories, to put them out there through, you know, social media, through, you know, various marketing ways. And that's a really great way to amplify the, the experiences of people who live here. Um, I do see like just innovative ways for us to. Uh, meet virtually, um, maybe for us to even like tour or like do scavenger hunts where we're on our own, you know, looking for things. Um, like we just have to get creative and innovative. We'll still have pride. We'll still be able to celebrate. Um, we will, in, uh, through time, increasingly be able to engage one another. Um, but it's got to look different, yeah. and that doesn't have to be a bad thing. No, it doesn't. And I think that's I think that's a good way to look at it because. Um you can get wrapped up in what you're missing and what things used to be like. And that's, I mean, it's hard not to have fond memories of like, you know, being on Christopher street and, you know, end of June, but I think you're totally right. Like it's, um, it takes that amount of perspective to understand that you can still have fun while, you know, wearing a rainbow mask or, <laughs> or, uh, you know, uh, enjoying pride from your window. Totally. Um, so I just want to wrap up the conversation with the question I ask every guest, which is, um, what are you excited about? Or what are you doing right now for fun? <sighs> I am excited about gardening. <laughs> yes. I just bought I a have... little mint plant today, so I'm putting it on oh, my yeah? windowsill. <laughs> my mom's Wonderful. Been, yeah, my mom's been giving me flowers, cut flowers, and like they last, you know, a week at best. And uh, But a garden, I'm a little bit jealous. <laughs> yes, well, I have had a dirt yard for... A decade and um it's got like you know glass that i've had to clear oh, and yeah. trees that i've had to clear and it's become quickly a labor of love i've got seeds in the ground that's starting to pop up bulbs that are starting to pop up and i'm become an architect of this garden um it gets me back to like my childhood gets me back to family roots i'm really excited about everything blooming yeah. um yeah our next guest is halishan sianapar he uh, has the honor of being our first repeat guest, um, obviously in very different circumstances, but uh, you may remember him from our episode on the State of the City where we talked about um, the mayor's speech um, that he gives annually. And this year he was supposed to give that speech again. Um, and NJ Pack, in fact, I had I reserved seats um, to go see it. And uh, we were planning to at least watch it uh, both of us and, and maybe do a repeat of last year where we talk about that speech. However, um, the COVID crisis began. The mayor canceled his speech back in March. Uh, it was supposed to be at the end of March. And I thought maybe it'd be great to just instead uh, bring Halshan on to talk about, um, you know, how it is uh, being a Newark resident and, and, and living through this uh, crisis. Because I, I like his thoughts and I think he has a, a really cool perspective. Um, so welcome, Halshan. Um, and how are you doing? I'm doing all right. Uh, yeah, it's like, I would say working from home and like having the kids home is definitely a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're our first guest so far to have, um, kids at home. Um, and, uh, I, I can only imagine, um, I, I'm, I'm a grown up, a baby 30 year old and I get like <laughs> antsy just being in my apartment and wanting to go outside. I can't even imagine you know, with, you know, the, the ball of energy that a kid is uh, trying to, you know, keep them sane, but also, you know, productive because, you know, they're still supposed to be in school and everything. Right. Yeah. So what's that like for you? Is that? Um... 
Um, I mean, like, you know, we have, we have a sort of structure to it now. So yeah. it's uh, like, I, I don't, I can't even really say it's easier, but like, I'm used to it now, you know, that's the best way to put it. But it's like, like, so, um, Jadine does like a circle time with him to try to like keep some of the normalcy that he had at daycare. Mm. That's kind of cool. And then, um, one of her friends lives up like upstairs in the apartment. So they, they'll come by and like, we'll eat together and we'll, uh, and they'll help with the kids. So like that definitely is, is cool. Cause like, um, I don't know. You know, since we're not going anywhere, it's like, oh, I better get to know the people. That, I mean, they live in the house anyway. Yeah. You know? So, um, so yeah, it's, that part's kind of cool. And, um, and then, uh, yeah, it's just the first week was the hardest because I was like trying to do work once they all went to bed. So mm-hmm. it's like, it's like, this is like a nonstop day, you know? Yeah, it's, I, c- I can only imagine. Um, and it, the weird thing about working from home is it feels like it almost, um, never ends <laughs> um unlike you know i mean i don't know if it's similar for you but like a lot a lot of people you know they once they leave the office like I mean, there might be some emails and, and stuff but like once you get back home it's very different right but now when you're always at home it's like wait am i at work still i don't know i can't tell. <laughs> um, i don't know if you feel that way too yeah it's just uh i don't know it like um uh... Being at work, well, one, there's not really, you know, things, as many things to distract you. Mm. Also, like, everyone knows what you do, so you don't really, I don't know, I feel like there's more pressure to show, like, hey, I'm doing something, you know? Mm. Whereas uh, at work, it's like, oh, you saw what I did today, you know? Yeah, yeah, there's like that, there's that amount of performance. uh, Yeah. That you feel like you have to perform and not just do stuff, but also look like you're doing stuff, which are not one and the same. Um, <laughs> so what's it like in your neck of the woods? Um, obviously, you don't have to say where you are right now, but um, I, I live downtown and I feel like it's a very unique experience down here. I don't know if you guys hear the sirens that we do all the time down here. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, I mean, this week, I don't remember it as much, you know, like the, in the beginning, I remember, you know, they would be driving around every night, yeah. you know. So I don't feel like that's that's happening as much, um, but like, yeah. Now, I mean, now you see people. Everyone, you know, everyone's wearing masks now, mm. and um, and uh, and there's like lines at the at the corner stores and stuff like that. So I would say even like two weeks ago, you know, nobody was wearing a mask. Mm. Pretty just like, you know, it almost felt like regular almost you know when you're outside it just felt like people are out it was kind of regular not not saying like over here it's just generally quiet anyway right like if i was like i think downtown you really feel the difference because it's usually a lot a lot of people but like here it's just like yeah there's a couple people walking on the block you know so it didn't feel that much different until everyone started wearing the mask yeah um it's kind of weird like i think you're very accurate in what you're saying about downtown um it's it's like a Sunday every day, um, which is weird because um, Sundays, you know, in downtown Newark, because we haven't developed the kind of residential capacity, um, you know, pretty dead. And it feels like day to day. Some days will get a little bit busier if it's sunny outside like it was today. You know, more people will be outside. But um, you definitely see um, 
a lot a, a lot more becomes present so a lot of like the issues that we've been dealing with for a long time become even more present like the number of homeless people who are downtown because mm-hmm. um, you see them constantly now um not that they weren't there beforehand but um it's it's much more noticeable because you see it every day consistently um has it been hard for you to get essentials and groceries um um well like uh in the beginning it was it was uh like i remember you know everyone talking about you know uh shop was sold out and all that other stuff but like when i went to the dollar store like you know kind of like a local supermarket mm-hmm. i felt like they had everything you know so um i didn't feel like a lot of things were were running out over here but um but now i feel it more just because it's like ah, do i really want to wait in this line you know so uh so that part like once they did that 50 percent capacity thing then that is when uh when i i felt like okay this is uh this is gonna be harder now yeah it's it's kind of funny because like every week there's some kind of new thing i think you mentioned the masks you know 50 percent capacity i feel like and now with be still mondays um it just feels like every week there's something getting added on right um, uh wh- like are there a lot of businesses that are still open by you or have most of them um closed? yeah i mean so <laughs> there's not really i guess there's not really that many um businesses uh, anyway at least how i feel like i feel like everything's a corner store yeah um so those are all open and then the liquor store is kind of, it seems to be open sporadically. Um, but I know they, they've they had issues in the past with like people congregating at that type of liquor store, you know? So I think the city is uh, is like actively watching them. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because I had heard rumors about this. Um, the cool liquor store next to me is Cool Vines and they've also had a bit of a, um, a back and forth, you know, with the city about being open. Um, but I had heard rumors of um, the city trying to shut down some liquor stores um, in other parts of the city. Yeah, like that one, that one, um, you know, when they first, when the mayor first uh, said they were shutting down, you know, liquor stores included, um, that one stayed closed for at least a week, you know. Um, but every, all the, and I remember someone telling me like, yo, the liquor stores in North are open. I'm like, what? Because I just assumed because that one was closed that they were all closed. And then, um and then people were saying that, like, the mayor, or the governor, like, overrid the yeah. mayor. Yeah. So. And, and, like, uh, not to, like, I've been a little public about this, but, like, I, I think that makes sense because, you know, when you close the liquor stores in Newark, it's, maybe it's a little different for, like, the South Ward or the, or the West Ward, but, like, for the North Ward people and for the East Ward people, it's so easy to go to Harrison. Oh, yeah, same thing here. So yeah. people are going to Irvington, you yeah. know? <laughs> Right. And I, and I know that the mayor tried to do the, was it East Orange, Orange, Irvington? There's like right. some five city alliance or something where they're trying to right. coordinate. Um, but even then, like, you know, you you could always go to Elizabeth or go to um, oh yeah South Orange. I mean, I don't know how hard it is to get to South Orange. I guess it's not that hard. But but like for us, like in the North, well, I don't live in the North Ward, but I grew up in the North Ward. You, there are parts of the North Ward where you can't tell whether you're in Belleville, Bloomfield, East Orange, or hmm. Newark. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, you know, there's not like a giant river where like Harrison is definitely, you could tell because you're right. across the giant river. Um, so when I, when I heard they were closing the liquor stores, it's like, you just put pressure on like, you know, poor bottle, not poor bottle King, they do well, but like bottle King over in Glen Ridge, because that's not, not even a five minute drive from the border. Right. Um, there were rumors of border checks. I don't know if you heard about this. Yeah. 
that, is that true or no? Have you seen anything like that? So, so yeah, so that was that was really kind of, uh, I don't know, you know, we were kind of speculating on the block, like, what it really meant. But they, um, they, uh, the first night, they, so that, the same liquor store, <laughs> the first night they had, it, like, completely barricaded with 10 cop cars, you know? Mm. I mean, I didn't count, but it looked like 10 cop cars. And I was just like, this is not the border, you know? So I felt like they are just targeting because that liquor store is kind of known for drug activity. Uh, okay. Also, um, so I felt like maybe they're targeting drug areas, you know, under the, the umbrella of like this border patrol thing. Yeah. So, cause, cause then the next street I saw that was closed down was, uh, like big parts of Hawthorne Ave. And like, that's not near the border either, you know? So that's why I was like, is this really a border thing? And then, like, Springfield Ave didn't have anybody, which is, like, a major thoroughfare, you know, and there was nobody at the border there. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of funny. We have a lot of cops in Newark, but we don't have en- w- enough cops to, <laughs> to, like... Oh, to be an actual border, yeah. Yeah, to be, like, let's close off, like... I mean, you could probably do the major thoroughfares, but then that's kind of dumb, because you just, like, people... I mean, this is a very smart city. People know how to <laughs> get around stuff. Yeah. Um, You know, if you close, like, just Route 21 and, like, you know... The major avenues, so your, your Springfields, your South Orange, your Bloomfield Avenues, you're still, that's barely doing a dent because, like, you know, people drive into the city a lot of different ways. Yeah. Um, but that's funny because I had heard about that. I didn't see anything, so I walked outside to see if maybe they were cl- shutting down the Jackson Street Bridge or the um, Clay Street yeah. Bridge. Or my favorite name for a bridge, the Bridge Street Bridge. It's a self-referential bridge. <laughs> it's actually called that. It's yeah. Bridge Street. It's named after the street and the street's named after the bridge, which is a good yeah. A great name but i didn't see anything so i was like oh maybe they're not actually because i heard the mayor on one of his facebook live videos mentioned something about border checks and i was like wow i'd be amazed if they could even pull that off yeah so that's what you know that that's what uh we were kind of curious about because uh you know it didn't feel like you could drive through that you know that that whole like there was just it was pretty much uh yeah those like wooden barricades all the way across the street and then the cars were in between and then you know, on the other side there was barricades like that. So it didn't feel like you could drive up and say, Hey, I'm going home. Mm-hmm. You know? So you just went around it. Yeah. Because like, even if you have like legitimate reason to be outside, I, I, I would also feel kind of like, do I have to go through this? Like I just want to get home or go to work if it's the other way around. Um, yeah. I feel like if they were actually, you know, I'm not trying to speculate, but no, for well, I'm speculating. All right, I'm just speculating. So I feel like if they actually were doing like a check, it would be kind of more like a DUI check, right? Like it wouldn't be that prominent. And, uh, and you'd just be like, oh, now I'm driving up to a check. And now I have to ID and say whatever. But like to do like, you know, this big barricade and all the cop cars, I felt like that's like, that's more like don't come this way, you know? Yeah. I, I think the mayor's caught between a rock and a hard place. And I do feel sympathy for him. Um, cause it's, you, I don't think like doing, like putting people under siege is effective, but like to do it culturally and just to get people to buy into, it's also very difficult because I don't know if you remember this a month ago, did you see the video of the teens that were partying at the oh, yeah, subsidized yeah. housing Avenue? Yeah. yeah. And I was just like, uh, it was, it was a good score for the mayor to, you know, get the, one of them to come and apologize at the, um, press right. conference. But part of me was just like, you know, is there a way we can do this without like having to, you know, put cops at risk? 
you know yeah. i see groups of cops together i'm just like Ugh, this is not I- ideal right we don't like want to get all the cops sick while we're trying to enforce and then the other thing i feel like is uh like a way a lot of like that community or mm. a lot of other communities it's like the people in your neighborhood are like your family you know so i mean and there and then where they are you know the apartments are right next to each other so it's like yeah you probably go outside and see somebody you know every day you know so i mean that looked more like a full-blown party but i but i also kind of believed his angle that they were you know they were trying to make it look like a party for Instagram. You know, I think that's part of it too. Oh, I got it. Okay, that, that's what I missed. I thought it was an actual party, but you think it was just like part of it was just to get the attention. Right. Yeah. Right. Like he, because, because I, you know, I remember somebody shared it to me and he's saying in the comments, like, see, I told you I'd go viral. So yeah. like he, he was trying to, you know, yeah. he just went, he just got the mayor's attention and that. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that's at least that like that's the extent of our tomfoolery to to use an old fogey term. Um, I'm glad that we're not Trenton. I don't know if you saw the five G story coming out of Trenton. Uh, no, no. Oh God, it's I, I I love our city so much because at least we're not Trenton. Not to bash on Trenton. Um, so you know about the you know about the five G conspiracy theory. It's very popular right, right here. Yeah. Um, the this town council the town the city council because Trenton's a full city. Uh, tried to pass an ordinance banning 5G. Oh wow! It is, and yeah. that's not a rumor. That's actually yeah. you could look it up. There's articles about this. It's it's a, from what I heard, a constituent complained to a council person. The council person then like put it on the agenda right away to ban 5G. Huh. And it got banned. And I was like, you know, as much as oh, they, they, they get yeah, banned. They, well, they can't. They have no power to ban 5G. That's you know, the state and the federal government have more power than the city to. Yeah. Um, ban and 5g is a it's a it's a it's a radio waves like how do you ban a radio wave from coming into your city um but i uh i laughed a little harder and i'm like you know we're, newark is struggling right now it's not easy we're you know we're la- we lack resources but at least we're not you know spinning our wheels uh trying to do 5g bans um yeah I, i'm I'll, I'll send you i'll try to include it in the show notes and i'll send it to you <laughs> um it, it was just I, I was laughing so hard because it was like when the meme became real i feel like that's a lot of this crisis is memes starting to become very real <laughs> yeah. um you know how do you how do you keep yourself you know sane like what do you do to make sure that you are at least enjoying life which is hard to do right now but <laughs> yeah um i mean i actually last weekend i was able to go for a run mm. kind of nice um but aside from that, mostly um, like I'm journaling mm. and, and uh, trying to do like different things in the house. Like, oh, this needs to get fixed. I'm here, you know. Um, well, the, the one the one thing that's been kind of exciting. This is a dad thing, but like, so we're like, hey, we're home. Let's potty train the kid, you know. So that um, that has been a little bit stressful, but also like kind of exciting mm-hmm. like to see how excited he is to be able to do it oh. uh, so that, that kind of makes being like i feel like he he has no idea there's a quarantine you know it's just like yeah this is cool my parents are, are here every day you know, you know? that you know it's so funny because i i think of you know for me 9 11 happened when i was uh 11 yeah that sounds about right um so i was like enough like conscious enough to know what was going on and like <clears throat> understand how big of an event that was but i keep thinking like what is it like for the four-year-olds three-year-olds 
um, maybe even five-year-olds, like to go through this time, um, how does that affect them? You know, what are they, you know, is this some, it's kind of weird to live through something, but also not remember it, if that makes any sense. Right. Yeah. Um, Cause you know, you, adults are freaking out a lot right now, but I wonder if kids are just like, you know, they're, they're lucky cause a lot of them, you know, the, the infection seems to not target them in, in the same numbers as it does, let's say for a 65 year old person. Mm. Um, but yeah, I always keep wondering what's it like when they look back, you know, when they're 60 and they're like, I lived through that. Hopefully, yeah. no, hopefully nothing worse happens, you know, for the next 60 years, but like, you know, it, to live through something like this. Yeah. I mean, I think it also depends on how it, you know, how it affects everyone around them, you know? So like, for, you know, for me, I'm, I'm lucky that I'm still working, you know, like there's people that aren't working. So I imagine those households, it's going different, you know? Um, and I'm, and I'm working and I don't have to like, you know, uh, say be like behind a register, like, cause even that feels so different now going to the store and they got the glass in front of you. And it's like, this is, uh, this is very different. Yeah. Very different. New York's got the worst of both worlds. Cause I think we have a lot of essential workers who people who work at the grocery stores, the pharmacies, but we also have a lot of people who are non-essential, but can't work from home too. You know, people right. who work at movie theaters, airports, right. construction. I mean, I, the list goes on and on where it's like, you know, especially if you're self-employed finding unemployment is really hard at the moment. Um, but yeah. Um, so yeah, um, I'm just wondering, um, we're coming to the end of our, se our session here. Um, I'm going to ask you the, um, the same question I ask everyone, uh, what are you excited for? Or what, um, what do you hope for right now? <laughs> well, I mean, I, you know, I just turned 40, so I was actually looking forward to having a party about that. Cause I wasn't oh. exactly excited about being 40, you know? So I'm like, I have to celebrate this big just to own it, you know? So now, like, I celebrated like a 40-year-old. I'm like, oh, I really am 40. I was just home waiting for the kids to go to bed. You know, like... <laughs> <laughs> Nothing can make you happier, right? <laughs> so I was like, yeah, that was my day, huh? Well, but the important question, did you have cake? I did have cake, yeah. yeah. Nice, nice. I did have See, even in these times where there's still cake, right? <laughs> That's it for this episode. I would like to thank our guests, Samantha, Emily, Brian, and Halishon. This is Manny Antunes, host and producer of the Pod and Market podcast, editing and sound engineering by Byphrase, podcast logo and design provided by Robert Conti, additional creative input by Samantha Kateas, pod intro and outro music by Dan Myler. If you have a subject you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, or if you'd like to come on the podcast during this COVID-19 crisis, please email podandmarket at gmail.com or contact the pod through social media. We are on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. So I'm going to end with a, a quote, well, more a passage from a book I read almost exactly 10 years ago uh, called uh, The Plague by Albert Camus. Uh, I was living in London at the time, and I uh, wrote, um, I was writing, sorry, I was reading a bunch of books I had brought with me, and I decided to bring this book for no particular reason. I wasn't worried about a plague at the time. I wasn't worried about disease. I just... I had read Camus' The Stranger and enjoyed it somewhat and decided I would read more of his work. And when I read it at the time, I, you know, I liked it. It was one of the stories I kept in my back pocket but didn't really, you know, think about it all the time. And 
it's a book that has come up a lot in the media. You, If you go around the internet or read articles, you'll see that this book gets referenced a lot because it ended up being really, really um, relevant. So just a quick note on the plot. The plague takes place in um, sort of mid or early 20th century Algeria. Uh, Albert Camus was an ethnic French person from northern Algeria. And um, he studied, the author studied a lot about past plagues, about outbreaks of disease, and decided to write this book about how communities confront disease. And the reason why this book has become a lot popular recently is there's a lot of parallels. The idea of people just acting normal despite hearing about the disease, um, the sort of onset of death and how violent uh, death from a disease can be, even if it's not... Um, you know, caused by humans per se. Um, and it also explores the the sort of the toll it takes on your psyche, especially after the disease passes. And I'm not giving away too much. I'm reading from the end of the book, but I'm not giving too much um, away by just simply saying the disease does go away. Um, I do recommend the book. Uh, it's not too long, only about uh, 308 pages with large type. Um, but here is um, the last passage from the book. Nonetheless, he knew that the tale he had to tell could not be one of a final victory. It could only be the record of what he had what had to be done, and what assuredly would have to be done again in the never-ending fight against terror and its relentless onslaughts, despite their personal afflictions, by all who, while unable to be saints but refusing to bow down to pestilences, strive their utmost to be healers. And indeed, as he listened to the cries of joy rising from the town, Ryu remembered that such joy is always imperiled. He knew what those jubilant crowds did not know, but could have learned from books, that plague bacillus never dies or disappears for good, that it can lie dormant for years and years in furniture and linen chests, that it bides its time in bedrooms, cellars, trunks, and bookshelves, and that perhaps the day would come when, for the bane and the enlightening of men, it would rouse up its rats again and send them forth to die in a happy city. Thank you. Um, but thank you. Um, thank you for coming on again. I'm, I'm actually really glad that you're our first repeat guest. And uh, um, I hope um, I hope you stay safe and all is well. Thanks. Well, um, thank you, Brian, for coming on. And I'll be sure to include those resources you mentioned uh, just now in our show notes. Thank you, Manny.